sponsored by the St. Charles Office Center, Streetscape TV, Blogger's Bug, and Acoustica's Mixcraft Recording Software. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Unlike TV or radio ads, where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising could have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck. Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Two Guys Talking is an internet radio show providing you with entertainment, a sharing of viewpoints, and fun. Join us as we venture into the world of entertainment and discuss a variety of topics from television shows, DVDs, feature films, and more. This week, Two Guys Talking. Die Hard. 1988, directed by John McTiernan, starring Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman. In 1977, I was seven years old, living in the outskirts of Chicago, in a town called Schaumburg. That year, winter gripped the Chicagoland area more tightly than usual, dumping a whopping 80-plus inches of snow in our area that winter. In addition to the outstanding adventures my mother and I had, trekking to the local grocery store with a toboggan when the roads were a mess, I remember vividly my mother being the literal spark plug, providing jump starts to every car in trouble in sight. The bold white letters on a black rectangle preparing for electrical battle read D-I-E-H-A-R-D, Die Hard, an indelible vision that is emblazoned on my memory even still to this day so many years later. Eleven years later, in 1988, a different Die Hard made an impression on me forever. A movie truly unlike any other that has become the fusion point for action, mayhem, impossible odds, and nonstop action. Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan, starring Bruce Willis as the man truly originally in the wrong place at the wrong time, and Alan Rickman as a villain against probably all villains can be measured still to this day. Ah, there's no doubt about it, folks. 1988's theaters were a good day to die hard. It's time for the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Die Hard, 1988, directed by John McTiernan, here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm David Kreet, your other host. For those of you that don't know, David Kreet is the host of the Fangbanger Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network, reviewing each and every episode of HBO's True Blood. Well, thank you very much, Mike. We're looking forward to this coming season, which may be the last. It's a good possibility. It may be the last, and it will definitely be a shortened season, which I think is going to provide all kinds of interesting intrigue inside of storytelling for not only the Fangbanger podcast, but for True Blood. We'll see. A quick little bit of housekeeping. I'd like all of you to go and check out Bruce Simmons' article about Die Hard over at bloggersbug.com. He wrote an original piece for us over at bloggersbug.com celebrating this outstanding movie. Again, you can find that over at bloggersbug.com. I wanted to make sure everyone checks out our newest flagship podcast in the network. It's the following podcast, following the bacon-flavored following 
on Fox this season. David, have you paid attention at all to that series? Uh, only the hype commercials. I haven't actually I've sat down and watched it. Another friend of mine that uh, shares the 9 to 5 with us suggested that maybe I marathon it once it's completed its first season. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's great. And remember also that you can go to the Fox's the following website and watch all of the episodes a day after they're released, which is really kind of nice because then you if you didn't have regular television, you could watch them all in glorious HD via their website. And again, that's over at fox.com forward slash the following. You can find all of these links that we're talking about over at our website, twoguystalking.com. Our last note inside of the housekeeping segment is about a new podcast on the network called The Conspiracy Agents Podcast. And David, I know you're somewhat of a conspiracy nut yourself, correct? Uh, I would use the term nut loosely. When How about I was, conspiracy wh- debunker? When nut. I was younger, I delved deep into the conspiracy <laughs> mythos and since then have realized that the world is a little bit more mundane than people would like to believe. Absolutely, I agree with that. However, the two people that are involved in the Conspiracy Agents podcast which you can find over at conspiracyagents.com right now, Kevin Hawthorne and Dr. Michael Lynch are a couple of really great characters that have some really great storytelling as well as some really strange fact finding. Yeah, it's <laughs> absolutely entertaining. It's, <laughs> it, it's worth your time to listen to it for sure. It really is. It's essentially opening up an encyclopedia that you never knew existed. <laughs> Make sure you check that out again over at conspiracyagents.com over on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Let's get to the perspective review of one of my favorite movies of all time, David. Die Hard, 1988, directed by John McTiernan. Here on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome to the podcast, pal. The hype. Now, this was a very interesting movie for me because this came out, essentially, as I graduated high school. Yeah. Yeah, it was right in that time frame. I guess I would have been a sophomore. Yeah. Junior, yeah, in there. and this was a couple of months before I non-voluntarily left my parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember this film vividly because, again, a man defying all odds was essentially what I was two months after this movie came out. This movie was rated R, wasn't it? This was rated R, yeah. You see, I seem to remember back in my day... Uh, it was much easier for people under the age of 18 to get in and see rated R movies. Yeah, I agree with that totally. And I don't know that there was any attention being paid to who the hell was going in uh, and buying no, tickets. No, if, if you didn't look 12, you essentially could go see just about any movie you wanted. Yeah. In fact, I think you could look 12 and go in with someone that looked 16. and Sure, well, once again, accompanied with an adult, you can take a four-year-old to go into an R-rated movie yeah. even today. But I vividly remember seeing the trailers for this film in front of everything we went and saw. Welcome to the party, pal. And Exactly. And (laughs) the TV commercials. I mean, it was everywhere. It was really everywhere. And we rushed out and went and saw it, me and a group of friends. Yeah. And I just remember cackling at the explosions and every smart aleck whip line. But they had that stuff in the trailer. I I remember the the jumping off the building with the fire hose Mm -hmm. bit. Mm Mm-hmm. In the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say it started a trend, but I, I do remember that I felt when I watched that trailer that I was seeing an awful lot of what they were going to do. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that wheelhouse of the 80s, late 80s, is when they started using all of the gaga, oh my God, that's where the money went stuff right. inside of the trailers. And it's because you had to be responsible to the people that were providing the money. And by the way, this is where your money is going. And so I, I don't think that's strange at all. I, I know exactly why we were seeing those things. And I still hate it to this day yeah. because I want to taste, but I don't want the Gaga moments inside of the, the movie shown just because you have to show where the money's going. I don't know how to fix that immediately. 
but I know that I don't like it as a moviegoer so much so that I sometimes now avoid trailers until just before the movies, and then maybe then. Right. Where did you see this movie? And if you actually, you know what, same it, you know damn what? place. It was you see at every it was at movie. the AMC Regency. What is this AMC Regency? Exactly. You talk about? Um, there was another movie theater in St. <laughs> Charles back in the late '80s, early '90s, and this was a theater that was it's gone now. There's no more. Right. There's, well, it's because no it's been bowled it. over and it's been added to. Actually, it's a fitness to. it's a fitness joint now. Actually, <laughs> well, that's appropriate. But it was the other movie theater and. Though we went to Warenberg for, for most of our, the Warenberg, which eventually became the 18. No, 18, that is legendary. Though we used to go to the Warenberg all the time, mm-hmm. a lot of the movies we went and saw, like The Doors, for instance, mm-hmm. we saw that at the Regency. Mm-hmm. The Regency had s- different movies than Warenberg, although a lot of times they had kind of the same thing showing at the same time. Yeah. So, uh, it, I do, But I do remember going to Regency to see it. I, that's where I also saw the Tim, original Tim Burton Batman. Mm. I think we went and saw this at one of the original megaplexes that was built inside of Brookfield, where I lived at the time. And it was phenomenal. It was summer. It was a gorgeous summer. Again, basking daily at a pool at a friend's house, figuring out which movie we're going to go see, ripping tape, mixed tapes with each other off of music that we already had. Uh, 1988 was a, a wonderful, wonderful time. And I think that might be what caps this movie for me, especially in regard to hype, was that it literally was one man against everyone else and whether or not he would succeed. Hey, babe, I negotiate million-dollar podcasts for a living. I think I can handle this Euro trash. The money! So we get to the favorite part of David inside of every perspective review for Two Guys Talking. David, I challenge you to screw up the number big enough inside of this one, Die Hard 1988. Do you have any idea what this has made domestically? This is to date, correct? This is to date, correct. (sighs) Well, let's see. So it wouldn't have made as much money then as a movie would today. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's been out for a really long time, and I'm pretty sure it came back to the theaters at some point, maybe even more than once. I don't think so. Really? No. This I, is one I don't think I has ever come back. I seem to remember seeing wouldn't Die Hard it, and Die this, Hard 2 back-to-back, Wouldn't though. this have been the perfect time to do it, though? I mean, number this five. Well, and then, uh, absolutely. Okay, well. Hmm. Um, all right, I'll go with, uh, say, $350 million. $350 million. Close. A whopping $83 million. Ah! So just a bit over. How about foreign? Any idea what it's taken in foreign? $120 million. $120 million, Just a bit outside. $57 million. Good Lord. So a worldwide take of $141 million with how about the cost to make it? Any idea? $15 million. $15 million, Just a bit under. $28 million. Oh, well, I was pretty close, That was pretty close, actually, yeah. <laughs> Only half. And again, we're talking giant corn combine of cash. One of the things I always get from people is asking us about us doing different perspective reviews, and they always mention, is this going to be a corn combine of cash? And this, my friend, was a corn combine of cash. <laughs> <laughs> it just rakes it Taking in. Taking it in. And it's going mean, to, I guarantee you, we have the fifth entry coming out this weekend, and I'm telling you, that also is going to rake it in, not because it's not a good movie, but because it's going to be another corn combine combine of cash what kind of podcasters are you you said you were podcasters the good david we've got so much good in this movie but we can easily start this off with one word bruce bruce willis had a career already before he ever got to die hard 
Yeah. He had been in several movies. He had been in Moonlighting, which uh, Moonlighting. he was instantly on my radar because I was way more funny chipper guy when I was 18 years old than I am currently. Sure. And I like comedies, and I love his brand of dry, brash, in your face, making comments and telling you what he thinks. Absolutely. At this point, he was best known for moonlighting. Yeah. Absolutely and for sure. Yeah. And, and it really was a, a plateau for him. And what would be the next project that would take him to another level? Well, clearly it was this. Yeah, it wasn't Hudson the, Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely wasn't Hudson Hawk. Although there was some great music inside of that film. Sure. No, there wasn't. I'm just kidding. Anyway. Uh, him and Danny Aiello singing that song. <laughs> It's something that brings me back to my childhood. A tear. A true tear. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the gist is that this catapulted Bruce Willis to a completely different atmosphere in not only in his career, but in people's eyes. Yeah, absolutely. The, John McClane, the character, and Bruce Willis become intertwined the instant that you see him. This absolutely made him a bankable Hollywood star. Yeah. He was small screen famous. He was well known. He had connections. He was... Married to Demi at this point, mm -hmm. wasn't yeah. he? So, you know, he yeah. was in. This was the building block. He was There's in, no, but yeah. this is what made him an absolute bankable Hollywood star. Yeah, yeah. and the, the best part of this is that creating John McClane as a character, when you go back and you look at the opening minutes of this film, you see a real character. I think that might be what bothers me about all the other movies that have become Die Hard in a Plane or Die, die hard, hard on a Boat, on a boat which is my favorite one, uh, by the way. My favorite is Die Hard in a Building. Well, yeah. They already did yeah, that one. Yeah, they already one. did that one. <laughs> that, that was the uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme inside of the hockey arena yes. movie that yeah. is essentially Die Hard, except that it's not Die Hard. And, and the, the, the gist of all of this is that that character that he created so many years ago is coming out in its fifth incarnation in a few short days here. And it is still a revered character. We're going to we're going to talk hardcore about pathos later on in this review. But there's no doubt about it. We care to this day. About John McClane. And it's because, it's Bruce, because Willis. Bruce Willis. It is. It's absolutely it is. because of him. The villain. Few characters have become the villain that Alan Rickman is inside of this movie. Absolutely. It he set has, the tone for his career. Yeah. And it, what I love about it, though, and I usually hate it when people start talking about layers like an onion. But what I love about this character is that there are. There are literally so many layers yeah. inside this one character. And we're not just talking about there's Hans and then there's the Bill Clay guy. Well, that's not what we're talking about. Mm -mm. We're talking about so many different things that this villain outright does inside of this movie that are absolutely diabolical. But they fold in on each other like a, like a piece of evil origami. And I love that about this villain. He really is over the top, but absolutely in your face every single minute that you see him. And he's smart. Yes. You know, not in the evil, diabolical James Bond villain smart kind of way. Mm -hmm. He, You know that if you were to meet Hans Gruber somewhere... This guy would impress you. Yeah, he is the smart bad guy as opposed to the evil genius. Absolutely. And yeah. it, it pays off in spades. I mean, seriously, that w whether he's interacting with his own crew, that he knows he's smarter than all of them. He's kind of the guy, inside of The Dark Knight is a really good sample, where the Joker knows that he had already planned to murder every single person. That was on that initial jaunt into that bank. Yeah. He knew that. Remember, his job was to kill the driver. Right, right. He is that guy. The difference is that they don't show us that part. No. Because we don't get to that part. No, the machinations the are right. already pre-established before they arrive. Yeah. 
which is which is magnificent. You know, there's a little bit of point of comparison. There's another great movie that came out about the same time, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah. Well. And Beverly Hills Cop 2, you, you had the Axel Foley character, mm-hmm. and in this movie, uh, you have the John McClane character. Very, very similar kind of characters when you look at the fact that these are men who were not originally action heroes mm-hmm. coming into an action hero role, bringing some humor with them, mm-hmm. uh, not your traditional leading man looks about them. Very, very similar situations. The movies were kind of paced very similar as well, mm-hmm. um, although I felt Beverly Hills Cop dragged a little bit more than Die Hard does. The difference between these two films really is the villain. Mm-hmm. Hands down, Hans Gruber. In fact, I, I, I remember saying, I want to see that bad guy in every movie. Too bad they killed him. Yeah, very well said. And I mean, even in all the sequels that we see inside of the Die Hard series, the, the, you have to compare every villain that appears to Hans Gruber. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, There is again, no comparison. There is, just is no comparison. There isn't. There was, a, there was a, a piece of licorice that was created when Alan Rickman created this character, this villain, Hans Gruber. And I don't think that the taste has been recreated to date. No, even Jeremy Irons playing Hans's brother, mm-hmm. still not even close. Pale, yeah. pale. And that's where we ask you. Yippee mother podcaster. Are we missing the point? Is there another villain inside of moviedom that equals the level of Hans Gruber? Let us know what you think by going over to our website over at twoguystalking.com. Click on the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and let us know which villain we're missing that's as good as or better than Hans Gruber. Sir, this channel is for podcasters only. No f- shit, lady! Does it sound like I'm ordering a pizza? The pace. David and Tony and Scott and everybody else that has done a podcast with me inside the Two Guys Talking brand have always been talking about how pace will trump everything. Yeah. I will take any crappily done story, and if they're able to throw sufficient pace at it, I think it'll eke out a passing grade. Yeah, I really absolutely. do believe that. Absolutely. You Th- take... There, there is a lot of current modern-day television that I think continues to exist because of the pace of the episode being written. Absolutely. A good example is Lost. Yes. Even when their story got a yep. little wanky, yep. those episodes were tight, man. Yeah. The, the, the gist of being goony or not inside a pace is, can you sit down and be propelled by the story to get over the speed bumps of disbelief, utter BS, and bad writing? Can that happen with the pace? And inside of this movie, well, one, there was no bad writing. Two, there was no BS. And so you haven't absolutely pushed through. <laughs> David's providing me with the face of, yes, there was yes, there was BS. And we'll get more to that when we get inside the tiny, minuscule bads sure. inside That's this right. review. But the gist is that the pace pushed you through every single thing, absolutely. even the things that David hated in this in this film. Uh, absolutely. And there's no, there's no two ways about it. You want to sit down, and I just watched this film... Not that long ago mm-hmm. on cable. It came on cable. And, of course, it's one of those films. Flip, flip, flip. Oh, Die Hard is starting. Let me sit down and waste an hour and a half of my life. <laughs> yes. How many times have I seen this movie? It matters Doesn't not. Doesn't matter right. anyway. Right. So the pace of this film is such that even if you come into this movie 30 minutes into it, whoop, there goes another hour of my life. Yeah. Hey, there is not a dull moment. There is not a wasted line. Yeah. The action flows from one bit to the next. Uh, the plot is carried through the entire thing. Everything everybody mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. seamlessly flows into the next. It's one of probably the best-paced films, 
as far as an action film goes to come out during that, that period of time, especially during that period of time. Once again, Mike and I are incredibly nostalgic for the movies of the 80s. Either one of us will tell you that. We'll admit to it. Sure. Uh, they don't make movies like this anymore. They don't. David, there's a website on the internet called runp.com. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but essentially it tells you when you should head for the hills or in this case, the commode when you have to go to the bathroom inside of movies. Sure. I would venture a guess that this says, don't go. Don't go, right. There's no place. <laughs> this is the one, even the slowest of moments, quote unquote, inside this movie, uh, you don't leave. You no. don't leave. And it's not because there's something coming up. It's because it's completely engaging. Well, there's something going on. You yeah, know, there's very, you know, there, there's almost no point in this film where someone sits down. And of course, that's the wink to the audience of, we're going to tell you a whole bunch of what's going on. Yeah. Th that doesn't happen. No. This movie shows way more than it tells. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 dead expository information scenes they don't exist inside this movie. If they do, they're inside of some very tightly woven graphics. Right. While something's going on, they're music, they're explaining and soundtrack, the, and everything. They're else. explaining yes. the safe to you while they're unpacking the stuff and right. starting to crack it mm -hmm. with Ode to Joy mirrored in behind of it. It's just it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And it's funny that we mentioned the weaving in of soundtrack because, come on, baby, come to Papa. I'll kiss your fucking podcast. The soundtrack. I'm going to cheat a little bit and tell you a little bit about the DVD Blu-ray features inside of the most recent release of this movie, Die Hard 1988. Yeah, I went I went Mike and picked is this up. The, Mike is the super extra features Listen to the commentaries. Yeah. I'm the one listen that they the, create the, the seven to versions the, Right, for. the, the B-list commentaries. <laughs> yes. He's and, the guy. I'm not that guy, but he is. Yeah, the, the reason is thus. Not only is there the original John McTiernan commentary inside of this, they've now layered that on top of the production designer. They've also given you another one with the cinematographer that you can listen to. Laced inside of that is something that I hope I see a ton of in any upcoming, especially Blu-ray feature, and that is the crew and cast text commentary. Inside of the, and where I noticed it the most was the, or the director's edition of Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, there is a wonderful text commentary in there by Michael and Denise Okuda, the masters of the graphics that ever existed inside of Star Trek The Next Generation, who then peeled it off into all of the different franchises on television, as well as all the movies that came in their genre. They are just absolute geniuses. And that text commentary inside of those films literally provides you with factoids and trivia, not only about the graphics, but the special effects and what you see on screen and little tidbits about the actors. It is an absolute cornucopia of detail. This one inside of Die Hard is even better because it's not just two people in the case of the Star Trek ones, Denise and Michael Okuda providing the text. It's the entire cast as well as the crew that developed the movie. So everybody from John McTiernan to Bruce Willis to Alan Rickman to even the composer of the soundtrack, the sadly passed Michael Kamen, who is one of my favorite soundtrack people. He did the Band of Brothers. He did From the Earth to the Moon. He did this. He's done so many awesome things. And unfortunately, he's dead. But like a voice from the grave, I, as I was watching this, you can see Michael Kamen, composer, diehard. And you can literally read what he was saying about what happened as he was developing the soundtrack and the pieces and weaving in silence, absolute dead silence inside the soundtrack, which I don't know that you have anymore. I think that the, the ability to go silent inside of a soundtrack might be a lost art. 
It just might be. Especially in a big action, high-budget movie. Absolutely. And it's something that is mentioned not only by Michael Kamen himself, but a lot of the other people inside of the commentaries inside of this Die Hard disc. And so, again, the, the soundtrack, whether it's the floats of Ode to Joy throughout every single piece, anywhere, anytime that you're near most of the villains, you're going to see a variant of that being played. It's not the specific original Beethoven Ode to Joy. It's something else, but it's got that flavor lilted all over it. It's like a, it's like a piece of bread with some delicious gravy spread all over it, and it's ready to take a bite of. It complements the movie, and it pushes you through it, helping and enabling the pace of the, of, the, of the movie. And without it, you would be lost. And so again, I know you guys are sick of me talking about soundtracks and music and how it all weaves and makes a better picture. But it's totally true in many cases inside of Hollywood, but in particular, Die Hard. Absolutely. And yes, I'm sure that with you going on and on and on about soundtracks in every single review we do, I don't think people understand just how horrible movies would be if we took that out. Right. You know, you can have all you can have all the foley, you can have all the foley in it, you can have all the dialogue, you can have all of your special effects sounds, you have all that stuff in there. Mm -hmm. You take out the soundtrack. You can even in fact you can even have you can even have like music playing in the background, like when you walk into a bar, there's a song playing in the background. That's fine. But if you take out the actual score, the soundtrack, the thing that drives the film along, it sets the mood when it's creepy, when it's sad, mm-hmm. when it's suspenseful, when it's over the top and huge. If you take all that out, movies would be unwatchable a lot of times. No, I totally agree with that. As same exact same thing with what happens inside of the television experience as well. Uh, this is a quick cheat on our upcoming episode of episode four of The Following. But inside of The Following, there's a kitchen scene inside of Ryan Hardy's sister's restaurant's kitchen. And inside that scene, it's absolutely atmospheric. And it has nothing to do with Kevin Bacon being on screen. It has everything to do with the sounds and the clinking and the, the music that's then brought up underneath what's going on. And without that, you'd have something completely different inside of that, inside of the television experience. And it's very much the same here inside of Die Hard. Remember, you can buy the soundtrack to Die Hard over the Two Guys Talking website over at twoguystalking.com forward slash diehard. Now I have a podcast. Ho, ho, ho. The discs. All right, my friend, we just got done talking about the features, but we must, my friend, talk about the discs. And what I'm referring to are the now many Blu-rays that you can get of this movie, Die Hard. There is a difference between watching a DVD on a really great television and watching this movie inside of the most recent presentation of Blu-ray. It is exquisite. It's full frame inside of a 16 by nine screen. The colors are amazing. I don't know if they've gone back and remastered or something, but it is absolutely beautiful. The reds, the oranges, all of the, all of the lighting inside of the scenes, it's just a wonderful presentation capture inside of the Blu-ray experience and something I totally recommend, especially for 10 measly dollars. Where, where else can you get that inside of a $10 experience? And I don't know where there is one. 
You add on all the features that I talked about, just the ones that I talked about, as well as some really great production still galleries and a bunch of other really awesome videos where you get to see Bruce Willis as he was interacting with people inside of 1988 Dome. It's just wonderful. It's, it's a jump back in time and really helps make those vivid snapshots inside your memory inside of the experience of Die Hard. Nine million podcasters in the world, and I gotta kill the one with feet smaller than my sister. Pathos. David, I have watched so many movies now as a professional entertainment critic. I have watched more hours of television programs than I care to try and remember. And it's not because it was bad television. It's because it was television with zero pathos. I didn't care. I literally get into the 35-minute mark of a movie, and I go... If all of these people, it's very much the Voyager experience that you and I have talked about previously. I am the Starship Voyager hurtling through space. <laughs> Implosion. Everybody on board is dead. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I have no pathos for any of the people that are on board that spacecraft. And so that is my sad experience inside of a lot of my television and movie viewing. Except Neelix. Except Neelix, right? I give you that. Oh, I, I will give you that. He makes it out in, a, in, a, in an escape pod. How about excellent, that? Excellent, excellent. Okay. We can, we can continue with our analogy. Neelix and Seven, and Neelix has my face transplant on him. No. Then we go. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the gist is that there's pathos in this movie in every single character. Even the one you hate. There is a reason that you hate him. And you can vividly tell me why. This is true. And so <laughs> there's pathos across every single character, whether it's the super power woman wife inside of this. Even the villain. You care about what happens to the villain. You're right. When Alan Rickman is hanging off the ledge, hanging on to Holly McClane. I don't want him to die. You want something different to happen. You don't want him to kill anybody, but you definitely don't want him to fall, what, 80 floors to his death? Yeah. And so, again, any, any movie or television program that can provide me with the level of pathos that Die Hard gives me, man, thumbs up. Huge thumbs up. Yeah, absolutely. There are characters I don't care about in this film, um, but there are significantly more characters that I either am rooting for, including Hans Gruber, mm -hmm. or I just vividly hate. Like the cokehead. Like the cokehead, for instance. You know what? I got to tell you, even when you get that kind of visceral reaction out of somebody who's watching a, a, essentially a blow em up film... <laughs> yeah. You've done well. Yeah. You've actually you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. The idea that they've created these characters that I actually have an investment in. And I got to tell you, I cared more about Hans Gruber in that film than I did John McClane. <laughs> you know, because you know John's going to be fine. Yeah. You know John's going to be yeah. fine. You know Holly's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. But Hans, by the time they get to the point where he is hanging off that building, it's like, no, that's my friend. <laughs> Don't throw him off the building. His suit's too nice. We can't possibly throw him off the building. After all your posturing, you're nothing but a common podcaster. The wife that isn't a wallflower. Now, once again... Holly Gennaro. Cutting edge. Yeah. You know, where? where is the other power woman inside of a, inside of a movie like Die Hard? And this sad answer... Is that there isn't one. Oh, well, you have to go to Die Hard on a Boat Under Siege and the girl that jumps out of the cake. Yeah. Nice boobs. <laughs> nice boobs. I am an exceptional podcaster, Mrs. McLean, and since I'm moving up to voiceovers, you should be more polite. Yes, that was your plan. 
<laughs> now, for those of you that have listened to any of the podcasts that David and I have done, whether it's the True Blood review podcast inside of the Fanbanger podcast experience, the Predator, the Predators reviews that we've done, whether it's the original Predator or Predators that came out recently, yep. or any one of the others. Yeah, we've done several. We, we, <laughs> we've done so many. The gist is that one of David's favorite things to talk about was that was your plan? Really? That's what you were planning. That was your whole plan the whole <laughs> yeah. time. Like Tron. <laughs> Tron. <laughs> yeah. The, the Tron legacy movie. Uh, really, your, your plan was to bring 100,000 guys with sticks and frisbees to the real world <laughs> and take over. Great plan. Great, Great plan. plan. Great plan. Now, in this case, however, this was the plan. It was. This is the plan. An amazing scheme. Yeah. More every than an bit, amazing scheme. Every, every single bit of this plan was not only feasible... But awesome. Yeah. You can tell that an intelligent group of people or person designed an amazing scheme, plan to perform a specific task, and they were so going to get away with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely they were going to get away with it. There was no two ways about it. It wasn't convoluted. It wasn't complicated. It was done exact, it, even to the point when some of the other characters I really didn't like, the FBI guys, shut the power off to the building. They knew it was going to happen. It was a part of their plan. Magnificent. Everything about the scheme of the villains in this film was perfect. Yeah. Another reason to love Hans Gruber. Uh, an even better reason to love Hans Gruber. And again, mixing in the Ode to Joy across every single yeah. seam. Of every single portion of this movie, it is it is a piece of brilliance. And I I got to tell you, I love to call out when they do this to me and they oh really this is your plan. I love to call that out, but you cannot do that in this film because if you were gonna rob six hundred million dollars from somebody, this is the way you would yeah. do it. Yippee uh. mother podcaster. And so we're wondering if you think there was a better plan inside of Die Hard. Let us know what you think by going over to our website, twoguystalking.com. Click on the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page. Fill out the quick web form and let us know if you were satisfied or if there was a better plan to put in place inside of 1988's Die Hard, directed by John McTiernan. We're going to take a break here during the Two Guys Talking perspective review of Die Hard, 1988. We'll be right back. Looking for cost-effective, rustic office space in the St. Louis, Missouri area? The search is over. The St. Charles Office Center is a series of professional offices 20 minutes from downtown St. Louis, Missouri. Built in the 1900s, the St. Charles Office Center is the perfect mix of yesteryear and now and offers workspace with true character. Plush wooden wall moldings, hallways with true flair, and with 10 different sized office spaces available, the right price is just around the corner. Get the best office space for your effort now. Check out stcharlesofficecenter.com for more details and become the center of business. With the St. Charles Office Center, that's stcharlesofficecenter.com, stcharlesofficecenter.com. Looking for a straightforward user interface and a cost-effective, feature-filled, multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. 
check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Poker's been around a long time. The memories, the cards, the money, the players, it all makes for an outstanding experience. But where can you get true knowledge, tips, tricks, and detail? Don't miss the next episode of Two Guys Talking Poker, where poker zealots Vic Porcelli and Andy Kazin interview poker greats like Michael the Grinder Mizraki, Alan Chainsaw Kessler, Greg Fossilman Raymer, and many more. Add on superb hand analysis and poker industry news, and you've got the Two Guys Talking Poker podcast. Check it out now at twoguystalkingpoker.com. That's twoguystalkingpoker.com. Two Guys Talking is proud to be using Heil Finn microphones inside the Podcast Bug, a 1974 custom Super Beetle with a fully functional recording studio built into the front. Check out the latest audio capture tool and head turner that keeps Two Guys Talking on the cutting edge of podcasting. Finn mics from Heil aren't just providing great audio quality, they're fun. With glistening blue LEDs in each, they're true technological centerpieces and help Two Guys Talking continually make the mark inside of the podcast industry when out on remote audio capture missions. Are you familiar with Heil microphones? Check out all the details now at HeilSound.com. That's H-E-I-L Sound.com. And learn why Two Guys Talking uses and succeeds in their podcast bug with the best in microphone technology. Heil Sound laying down the best audio tracks inside the podcast bug for Two Guys Talking. Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Clothing and fight gear on a mission. Fight Ribbon is the original MMA clothing company built from the ground up for fighters and fans. Clothing with a purpose. The new face of cancer awareness. Fight Ribbon Clothing Company. Because what you wear matters. Visit FightRibbon.com. Hi, it's Vic Porcelli. Don't miss our interview with Michael the Grinder Mizraki in our most recent episode of TwoGuysTalkingPoker.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Die Hard, 1988, directed by John McTiernan, starring... Bruce Willis, and Alan Rickman. Just as every movie has the good, there's also the bad. Think we take out the podcasters, lose 25% of the audience? I can handle that. The Cokehead. Yep. David, go. I couldn't stand this guy. And you know what? That's the point. <laughs> that is the point. That is the point of this character. You're supposed to not like him. It's part of the pathos that we were talking about. Yes. The visceral hatred I have for this individual. You know, it's like, all he had to do was shut the f*** up. <laughs> That's all he had to do. Was sit down and be quiet. That's the best part of his character, though, is that one... Is that he can't, he can't. sit down and be quiet. He no. can't. Not only that, he can't help anybody except himself. Right. And he thinks he's going to go in there and... Oh, he's going to be the be hero. The, be the, not be the hero. He's going to be the lone ranger. 
yep. who's going to solve the problems. Solve all the and problems. he's also going to have the white hat. Yeah. Except that it's covered with blood. Right. <laughs> That's what's great about this character. Not only is he the scumbag that you love to hate, but he walks in wanting to be the hero when he doesn't even realize that Hans Gruber doesn't care about him at all. Nothing. No. All he wants is the detonators. Right. How does this guy get me my detonators? He says he's going to give them. Great. Let's have them. Oh, I don't get them. Bang, you're dead. Goodbye. Carry, it, drags know, him out in the hall. Goodbye. Here's part of the problem I have with that. They all knew. They all know. They were all there. All of them. All these people that worked at this building knew that they all saw their boss get his head blown off. Right. Every last one of them. Mm-hmm. They, they saw it happen. So what was this idiot thinking was going to happen different? Plain and simple. I just everything about the character rubbed me the wrong way. Of course, that was probably the point of the it's character. Right. But, you know, if you're going to talk about people inside that building that caused me to go, ugh, this is definitely the guy. Oh, my God. The podcast is toast. The limo driver. All right. Begin the hatred train, David. Essentially a useless character, except at the very end, he he saves the entire day. Whoops. He he stops the escape. Oops. Whoops. Uh, Okay. Once again, there could have been, the the, the crashing helicopter could have fallen in front of the garage door and it would have had the exact same effect as an entire other character. Look, it's the bent twisted metal and FBI guys that are blocking the exit of the the ambulance. I don't think so. I think you're on a, a bender there. No, oh, but if, the, the if, next if anything, one. No, hold on. The, if anything, the limo driver helps us get perspective on what's going on inside John McClane's head. At least you give him that. The other thing is you get to see a guy that is taking advantage of a situation. I know I'd love to take advantage of. Sure. I'd love to chill in the back of a limo with all the drinks and the crap waiting for nobody. I wouldn't mind that at all. Yeah. And it just turns sideways as it does inside of every Die Hard movie. So, man. The next one is the good one, though. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What have we here, gentlemen? The police have themselves a podcast. Sergeant Al Powell. The man that not only grabs Twinkies for his pregnant wife, but also is the centerpiece of David's hatred for this film. Yes. All right, so this is... You, sir, are an No, no, no. You got to hear me out. You got to hear me out. You got to hear me out. Okay, as we all know, and if we don't, you're about to be educated, Die Hard was originally written as the sequel to probably one of the greatest action films of the 80s, Commando, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Which we're going to do a perspective review on. I certainly hope so. We've been talking about it for years. We're going to have to do it at some point. So, So it was originally written as the sequel to that film. Now, if Arnold Schwarzenegger is in the role of the guy trapped in the building with the terrorists... You don't need him to speak with anyone because he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He will say everything he has to say over the walkie-talkie to the bad guys. I'm coming for you. You know, put down your gun, whatever. He doesn't have to talk to somebody else. But when you put Bruce Willis in this film, you have to give him somebody to speak to because that's where Bruce Willis shines is when he's having a dialogue, when he's getting to be a swarmy smartass. Well, there's nobody else with him. He's by himself. Oh, let's give him Officer Friendly, Officer Winslow, outside in the police cruiser to talk to. This character was tacked onto this film specifically 
so that Bruce Willis would have somebody to talk to while he's alone in this building. No, I don't agree with that. I, I, I know that he was a character inside this story. And the best part is that he uh, he's not just someone to talk to. He is the foil inside of the Dwayne T. Robinson scenario that then is trumped by the FBI guy agents scenario. Oh, those guys. So, again, it's it's that folded origami that we're talking about where those are three and four different pieces of a story that is diehard. Right. Imagine He's... if there was no tether outside at all to anybody. Sure. And it literally was, in your horrid case, Arnold Schwarzenegger, welcome to the party, Paul. Yeah, right, exactly. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, well, it gives this it gives this impression. It gives me this impression. Now, of course, there's the great redeeming scene where after we've learned that Bill ever handled a handgun, right, has has lost his nerve to shoot the to to pull his weapon. At the end, he gets to do so and, yes. and save everybody's life. Yes, there's a great redeeming moment. Once again, it's a denouement. You know, the movie is essentially over at this point. Oh, and oh, also, and also, this happens with the exception of this one old school officer patrol officer who is a, a little overweight and should probably be at a desk and, and doesn't doesn't it doesn't like to pull his firearm with the exception of that officer and John McClane who is not from LA mm-hmm. every other law enforcement individual in this film is a moron <laughs> The SWAT teams are idiots climbing over bushes Sending and get, a car. Getting, getting, getting hooked up on trees as they try to sneak <laughs> up. The FBI agents are the most despicable characteristic. I mean, there's a point in this film where they're flying in the helicopters and the one FBI agent has Johnson. Got, his, got his ball cap on backwards, is hanging out the side of the Huey with a gun, just like Da Nang. And of course, and of course, the other FBI agent who at this point, who I think at this point is representing the audience, (laughs) looks at him very deadpan and says, buddy, I was in high school during the war. It's almost as if he's calling out the utter nonsense that the stupid Keystone cops and FBI agents in this film, it just, it's depressing it's depressing i understand that john mcclain is the hero and he has to do everything himself that's the point but i think what i'm saying is is that with all of these other characters these ancillary characters put into this film specifically to foil what he's trying to accomplish they're entirely unnecessary they're entirely unnecessary. I don't agree with that because if the douchebag FBI agents don't come, they don't shut down the power, hence the safe doesn't open up because the only people that would have the power to shut down the power would be the, the powers FBI. of the FBI. Absolutely, but they could have done that from behind the barricades as opposed to having them flying the Hueys and saying stupid things to each other and being just ignorant fools. I, fools. I, they were fools. I, I will accept your negative – not really – and put that into the annals of the Two Guys Talking Perspective Review of Die Hard. The circuits that cannot be cut are cut automatically in response to a terrorist incident. You ask for miracles, Theo. I give you two guys talking. The space in the back of the truck. Now, admittedly, this was not my call 
it's actually from the production designer of the feature that noticed this inside of one of the commentaries. And I never even thought of it. I never even thought of it. You have, what, 10, 12 bad guys. You've got yep. all the equipment that all they bring. Their guns, of missiles, stuff. Case after case after case. All the stuff that they were in there, cutting through walls, blah. It's all inside the back of that truck. Oh, and so is an ambulance. Yes. Except there's no ambulance inside the truck when they open the door. And so where did mystery ambulance it's, come it's from? It's like the TARDIS. But then again, if Alan Rickman is a time lord, what does he need with all these $600 million worth yeah. of bear bonds? And why can't he just disappear out of the building as I'm opposed to there being an escape route of the ambulance <laughs> in the bottom? Anyway, that's a terrible nitpick. And it's something, again, I would have never even still to this day not noticed had it not been for the great outstanding commentaries inside of this movie, inside the Blu-ray experience, Die Hard 1988. The rating. So we've come to the part of the two guys talking perspective review of Die Hard 1988, directed by John McTiernan, starring Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman. For those of you that don't know, we grade on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 being, ugh, what happened? David hated this. To 10, Mike loves this movie. David, what do you got? This movie was spectacular. I don't think there's any two ways about it. It was incredibly fun, paced perfectly. Mm -hmm. There was not a missed note in the entire soundtrack and score. Your two leads were at the height of their games. Mm -hmm. I love Alan Rickman and everything he's ever done, including even subtle little dramas that he's been in. Mm -hmm. His over-the-top performance in the Harry Potter movies was fantastic. But and the Robin Hood movie, he was Mm -hmm. the only good thing in that. (laughs) True. (laughs) But this is this is the quintessential. Alan Rickman performance, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and, and the same has to be said for Bruce Willis. They revisited, and we'll get to that with the franchise, they revisited this movie and that that character, but this was the perfect performance as far as this character goes in Bruce Willis. All the subsequential characters that we said that we enjoyed, all the ones that we said we didn't enjoy, mostly me, the plot, the, the plan... It was really, really, really fantastic. And I remember just loving this film the first time I saw it and wanting to see it again immediately. I won't say it's perfection. Like I said, there's a couple of things that weren't quite so good and a couple of other movies that are probably a lot better than this. But a nine, solid for me. It's funny that you pick a nine because I often think of the movies that, again, that desert island stuck someplace, what would I want? And there's no question that this would be one of those DVD, Blu-rays, from the cloud movies that I would want to have on whatever device operates on the no power I have on the desert island. Die Hard for me is, again, not only the culmination of what happened to me that summer, but a a quest in finding the solution where no solution exists. There's no reason that John McClane should have scampered up the stairs as a coward, essentially, to try and fight another day against the people that were taking over the building. That's totally against the grain inside of moviedom, especially back in the 1980s, in particular the late 80s. That's not what the hero does. The hero doesn't scamper away when the bad guys are coming. He makes the stand and mows down all the bad guys. You'll note that in most movies now, especially nowadays. And so that he can take that tack and do something completely different back then with the power and pathos inside of the pace inside of a wonderfully soundtracked film that continues to provide pathos to this day 
on top of it, and I don't usually include these things inside of my review, but I have to because it's so cheap. For $10, you go and you get the experience of all of these wonderful craftsmen that made this film back then and have had the experience since then to tell you more about what they feel now inside of the experience of Die Hard and what the movie meant and what it meant to people's careers as well as what it meant to audiences back then. That's something, the, the reason all of our perspective reviews not only glance, but literally take the ball-peen hammer and hit the things like hype and the franchise we're gonna talk about. And all of the little special things that we do here, it's not accidental. It's because it's a completely different experience than it is now than it was back then. And so a nine, I would certainly give this movie a nine, but I have to give this movie a 10. And it's because this is one of those fence post movies. This, Raiders, E.T., they, they ooze power and pathos all at the same time for the entire run of the movie. Again, it's that thing of sitting down and click, 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 whoops, there goes another two hours of my life. Right. This is, this is the one. There's a reason why this movie is on so much, and it's because it commands so much tension. You know, we're really going to have to review a movie that we don't like. We are. We're going to have to hit the bottom <laughs> of the barrel at some point. But this ain't it. Uh, 10 definitely for me for this one. Die Hard 1988. And so we're wondering what you thought of this movie, Die Hard. yippee mother podcaster. From 1988. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. Again, that's Two Guys Talking, the number two, guystalking.com. Click on the contact button on the top right-hand side of the page. Fill in the quick web form and let us know what you thought of this spectacular movie from 1988 Die Hard. And when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there were no more podcasts to conquer. The Franchise. One of our wonderful hallmarks of all of our perspective reviews is that we get to talk about the franchise, and it really is what sets us apart from a standard movie review. We sure. talk about so many things that help compare back then to now, but the franchise, especially with the next fifth chapter of this movie opening in four short days, I am ecstatic. And it's not because we haven't seen a sequel to this movie. We have. We've seen three of them now, and this is going to be the fourth. This one actually looks like they're going to get the pathos part of what I think was missing in most of the other ones. I, I certainly hope so. I, I really believe that. And I, what I also love is that the commercials that they've had, while they've definitely been big and huge explosions, blah, but they're keeping a lot of the story silent. And I like that a lot. I really do. Because I don't want to know what's happening. I want to know. I we You and I already know. It's going to be John McClane against all odds. His son shows up and it's in Russia. That's it. That's all you get from the trailer. And yep. that's all I want. I want to get there and then I want to take in that experience inside of this most recent Die Hard movie. That's what I want. And I think we're going to get that. Oh, well, I certainly hope so. I Just a quick run through. You had part two. I didn't care about the villains. I didn't care about the dude in the steam tunnel. I cared a little bit about Holly and the reporter because that was kind of a, a good, you know, hallmark. A good hallmark. They, mm -hmm. they they were in peril. They were on the, you know, they mm -hmm. were on these planes. Mm -hmm. now, of course, you care about John McClane. It was over the top. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything they did in the first movie, they did twice as big. Mm -hmm. I didn't care anything about the villains, and I thought their plan was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Episode three. Um, I mean, excuse me. Uh, yeah, we die Die Hard three. I don't want to call it up. <laughs> Die Hard 3, I think, was the true sequel to Die Hard 1 because you get the revenge of Hans's brother. Mm -hmm. 
And but at that point, it becomes a buddy movie. Right. It's no longer John versus all. Mm-hmm. It, it's a buddy film. It has an entirely different take. Now, don't get me wrong. There are people in this film I actually care about. The police, particularly the his captain, is an intelligent police officer. Mm-hmm. They don't dumb down the cops in yeah. this film. It's at not all. screaming black captain inside of that film. Right. right. So they, you know, there is a lot of good performances. There's a lot more pathos in that film. But ultimately, it's another that was your plan because you really have to hang your suspension of disbelief on this film. Yeah. You know, driving these trucks through these tunnels and yeah. stealing all the gold and mm-hmm. blah blah. And if the people were going to get the stutter. Really? Jeremy Irons? Right. Okay. Thanks. Uh, uh, Thanks. And then I don't even like to talk about Die Hard 4. <laughs> I, you know, first of all, it was not a rated R film. You cannot make a Die Hard movie that is not rated R. The one coming out in four days is a rated R film. Mm-hmm. So we will get to hear Yippie Kaye, motherfucker, as opposed to Yippie Kaye, or explosion or or whatever right Uh, justin long is a very nice man i'm sure and he has his part in films and he didn't do a horrible job in this but i didn't care if he lived or died nope i agree you know he had a point he had a plot point he was a a device he had something to do and if they executed him immediately after that i would not have made any difference right Right. no i agree and the same goes for everybody else involved in that film i all i wanted to see was john beat people up (laughs) And I got I got an awful lot of that and not not much else. Yeah. So please, please, movie gods, return Die Hard. It's gonna be the buddy cop thing again. It's gonna be a buddy film, but please return it to that interesting people, smart villains, decent, believable plot and plan, and, and give us our ninety or one hundred and twenty minutes of John McClane just whooping people up. And no John McClane flying multi million dollar plane somehow when he's been a beat cop his entire life. Uh, I just again those or, those or kind killing of a helicopter me. with a car. <laughs> <laughs> those kind of things make me absolutely crazy. Because what I don't want Die Hard Five to become is very much what happened inside of the fourth film, where it's literally a bunch of people sitting in a room. What if this would happen? Yeah. And I don't have any interest in that. No. I want there to be some story, but more importantly, I want the pace of the story to drive it just like it did inside of the original film that we've reviewed here tonight. Die Hard, 1988, directed by John McTiernan. Yippee-ki-yay, mother podcaster. And so we're wondering where you guys think the franchise is going. Is Die Hard 5 going to crash, or is it going to die harder? I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, it's a good day to die hard. (laughs) Let us know what you think by going over to our Facebook presence over at facebook.com forward slash two guys talking and let us know what you think about this next entry, Die Hard 5, A Good Day to Die Hard, coming up soon this weekend over at the Two Guys Talking Facebook presence. And so until our next perspective review or whatever review you hear us providing over at twoguystalking.com, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm David Creech, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. What kind of podcasters are you? You said you were podcasters. Uh, who said we were podcasters? But the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping, and I've bought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. 
When we finally kiss goodnight How I hate going out in the storm But if you really hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm the fire is That's good, we'll leave it there. I don't know where to take your hatred. Yeah. Take it somewhere. Take it. Take it, motherfucker. <laughs> as long as you love me so, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow.